Testing, one, two, three, all right. Good morning yet again. Welcome to the Firehouse. Thanks for choosing to join us this morning. Um, if you're new with us or visiting here, we are uh, wrapping up a series that we started uh, roughly five weeks ago. This is part five of a series entitled uh, Crazy Love. So we're going to finish up our Crazy Love series here. So you picked a good morning to join us here. Somehow we might try to close the time off with a thought that transitions from crazy love to Christmas, but uh, no guarantees on that. So we'll see here. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we will be looking at uh, Hosea chapter 1 here. So guys, well, let's just bow our heads uh, one more time and just ask God to meet us here. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do just want to look to you again this morning and ask that you would um, just open up a channel to each one of our hearts, Lord. We know that you want to speak to us. We know that your word is living and active and, and it can pierce right into our hearts and, and right into our lives. I pray that you would do that this morning. Lord, help us to catch a glimmer about uh, some of your thoughts, some of the things you have um, intense feelings about as it relates to relationships. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us, help us to respond to you with love and with obedience. But we do just ask you to graciously meet us here this morning and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here. Um, let's see if you can uh, turn to page uh, 889 if you have a house Bible there, page 889. We're going to look at Hosea chapter 1. While you're turning pages, I thought I'd do a quick update on um, our vehicle situation. I think we mentioned in our, our prayer meeting last week that we had been, our uh, minivan died. You know, um, along the way we had upgraded to a minivan and, you know, some people like minivans, some people despise minivans. I heard uh, of a wife who told her husband she will never drive a minivan. Um, and But uh, our claim to fame on our minivan was that it was all-wheel drive, you know. It can't beat an all-wheel drive vehicle of any sort, right? It's kind of like 4 by 4 for the minivan. But, uh, but that's the part that ended up going out. It broke. Uh, come to find out it's probably one of the more pricey parts on our van as, as it was. So we ended up uh, selling that for parts. The guy told us, by the way, since the most expensive part is broken, it's really not worth a whole lot for parts either. Um, but we got another minivan. We got It's a used minivan. It's an 05. But... Um, it's a special type of mini minivan. It's um, some of you might know back in Fort Collins, we used to joke a little. I used to joke with the, the rock back there with the church there that um, I drove a Saturn, and uh, Saturn was um, you know I bought into the marketing along the way. They just took uh, I think someone else's vehicle and they kind of repackaged it and remarketed it. But Saturn's tagline there for for a while was it's a different kind of car. A different kind of company. And, uh, you know, I bought into that. I, I had a Saturn. We had a few people in the rock back then who had Saturns. Uh, Greg, Greg, you were one of them, right? You and Christine. Christine had one. Rob, did you guys get a Saturn along the way now? Well, there was a small Saturn club there. Um, it was probably smaller than the Toyota clubs and some of those other ones there. But, um, anyways, we got a Saturn again. We're back in the it's a Saturn relay minivan. It's a different kind of car, different kind of company. As a matter of fact, I think the company went out of business, so it's kind of a, you know, I don't know, or someone bought it out. I don't know exactly how that works there, but um, anyways, we are glad to have wheels, especially for this season of Christmas travel and getting the faith walkers and stuff like that. So, um, 
Anyways, let's transition to Hosea chapter 1 here. Hosea is, uh, you might guess already, it's a little bit of a unique story compared to the other ones we looked at. Um, quick review of stories we've covered. Uh, the first one we talked about was Ruth and Boaz. Um, we did a two parts on Ruth and Boaz. And then um, Brad covered, uh, let's see, Isaac and Rebecca. Is that right? And then was last week we talked about Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah. Um, so this week we're going to look at Hosea. Those other stories were, they had, um, when you read them from the Bible, they had a little more of a, a storyline, a little dialogue you could see between the people. Like he said this and she said that. And, and in Hosea, we really don't have that. Um, Hosea, we have some interactions of, of God with Hosea. And Hosea, you know... Um, pursuing his, his wife there and re- relating to her. But we don't have a lot of dialogue. So we're just going to read you know, a couple of verses from each of these first three chapters. There's really three parts of this story we're going to look at. Your notes numbered one, two, three there. So um, we're just going to read, uh, boy, Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, maybe 2 through 5 to start us off here. And it, it just goes like this. Um, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because this land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And in that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And then the chapter goes on, talks about the names of a couple other kids. It's really a kind of a rough family there. He names a kid Jezreel. Um, which uh, I think has to do with scattered, and then names one uh, a daughter, Lo Ruhama, which means uh, not loved. Here's my daughter, not loved. Um, and then the other one is uh, Lo Ami, I think, which is uh, not mine. You know, here's my daughter, and she's not mine. Um, but there's, there's some rough naming, but God had a kind of a method to his madness, if you will, there. But we're going to look here. Um, I'm trying to hone in on Hosea and his, how he related to Gomer here. So, you know, I think one of the first points you could write down before we get going at all, especially if you're single, you know, I'd be real careful about ever marrying a woman named Gomer. You know, I just would put that high on the list. Watch out for Gomer. That just sounds like a rough relationship waiting to happen there. Evidently, she was known throughout the land as being a beautiful woman, and the name Gomer was didn't cramp her style back then, I don't think, but nowadays it might. Um, so let's see here. Act 1. Uh, this is, you know, three parts to the story, really. And the first one is just this. Hosea marries Gomer. You know, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. We have it in this verse here. The Lord began to speak to Hosea. This is like the first message this prophet gets. And God says, Hosea, I've got a message for you. And, you know, a lot of times we think God speaks to us so we can go talk to someone else. But we have to remember that often God speaks to us to talk to us first. And then maybe follow up with others after that. But he just said, go and take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. And, um... You know, I think, why, why did God have Hosea do this, you know? 
Is this, um, is this one of those that would be a good tip for trying to figure out marriage? Here's an idea, guys. You know, if all else fails, go find a prostitute and marry her, you know? That, that's not what this whole thing's about. This, this is not necessarily tips for how to find your, your spouse as much as things we can learn from this love story here, you know? Um, God's purpose in this whole thing was He wanted uh, Hosea to be a living picture of something God was feeling. He said, hey, look, Israel is cheating on me. They've been unfaithful to me. And I'm going to put you in this situation where you you marry this woman, Gomer, and she is going to put you in the same situation that I'm in. And you're going to feel what I feel. And God had a plan for it. It wasn't, you know, this was not like three three steps on how to have a really awesome marriage and find your soulmate. This was... A uh, step of obedience. You know, can you imagine God talking to Hosea? He's like, alright, I'm ready to get a message from the Lord here, the first message. And it's, you know, I'm going to have you get married. He's a bachelor. He's like, hey, I want you to get married to Gomer. You know, and, um, and he did. But it was for more than meets the eye, I guess you could say. Um, but God often uses marriage as, as a picture of, of how we should relate to Him. You know, He used this as a picture of how God was relating to His people, to Israel. Um, you know, and it's just amazing to think if you meditate on it a little bit, you know, God says, hey look, Hosea, go marry Gomer. And what you feel, what you experience in that is going to be a picture of what God feels at a bigger level. You know, God can relate to an entire nation but in an extremely personal and intimate way. That's how awesome God is. We can relate to one person in that way, and that's why He only has us marry one person. But God has the ability to relate to many people as one. And that's, you know, just pretty profound there. But, um, you know, I think God often uses marriage just to show us how we should be relating. You know, there are certain things that should occur in a loving marriage relationship. There are certain things that should not occur. Often throughout the Old Testament... He uses marriage as a picture. Even in the New Testament, we know that there's Christ and the church is considered the bride of Christ. And again, we're talking about a, uh, like a marriage relationship. And, and so, that's what first thing Hosea did is he got married because God wanted him to and he wanted to, to do some things there. But um, one of the things we need to just catch as we from this first point is just that idea that God desires a loving relationship with each one of us. You know, I don't know what you think about God, what your past, your experience, your stereotype of God is, but you need to know from the Bible, from someone who's been trying to understand and live it out, God wants a loving relationship with you. You know, sometimes we can think God wants my religion. God wants me to turn my brain off and follow Him blindly. God wants all sorts of things. But God wants you to know He wants a relationship with you. This is how it's put in the Living Bible, Hosea 6.6. Just says God is speaking in here. He says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. You know, we just have to catch that. God is into loving relationships. That's what He's made you for. Um, sometimes people can think God wants our religion. Boy, you know, it's just really a fun thing when people are really religious. When they go through the motions with no heart in it, that's obviously what a God wants, right? None of us would ever want that in a relationship, but surely that's what God wants, right? But God doesn't. He wants our relationship. He doesn't want our duty. He doesn't want our religion. Um, You know, I I just think about with my wife, you know, I try to regularly take her on a date night. But I imagine if we're sitting down over uh, dinner and, um, you know, we're just looking into one another's eyes and she just tells me, Rich, I'm so glad you took me on this date. You know, and imagine if I just responded, just doing my duty. You know, that's, that's what I should be doing, right? That's, that's my duty. 
Sometimes we think God just wants us to do our duty. He wants your heart. You know, or, or else I just, you know, say it's like religion. It's just something, hey, honey, this is a regular part of my schedule. That's why I do it. I'm very religious about this, right? No, it's about a loving relationship. That's what God wants. Um, and, you know, we see that often play out in marriage, but really that's the type of relationship God wants with us. Another way we see this is the greatest commandment. You know, Jesus was asked, hey, of all the commands, what is the most important command to God? And he could have said, well, it's to sacrifice, it's to worship, it's to do all sorts of things. And Jesus said, here's the most important thing that God wants from you. It's a loving relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He goes on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. It was also love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Loving God and loving people. What do you think God wants from you? A loving relationship, just like he made you for. Um, here's, uh, I've got a few fill-in-the-blanks here. I got really carried away with my technology and PowerPoint here. As you can tell, behind each one of those uh, concealed boxes there, um, those very well-blended boxes, are, are some answers. Um, but, um, you know, there's a few things. He says, love God with all your heart. What does that mean? God's giving you a heart for emotions, for feelings, for for loving Him passionately. He wants you to be passionate in your relationship. That's why He gave you a heart. If He just wanted you to use your head, He wouldn't have had to give you a heart. Um, He wants it to be personal. You know, your soul, there's no one else like you. There's no one else who has the same eternal personality as you. And He wants to love you. And He wants you to love Him. That's why you're unique. There's no one else like you. He wants it to be thoughtful. You know, God's just not like, hey, boy, I made a lot of loving robots. I'm glad you never used your brain and think about what you're doing. God wants us to be thoughtful just as our spouses like us to be thoughtful. And it's not as easy as you think, but, uh, but God wants us to be thoughtful in our relationship with Him. But the other thing that God wants from us is He wants an exclusive relationship with you. You between the God who made you. God made you with the capacity to love Him in these different ways, and He wants all of that love. You know, that's why it says each one of those, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, God wants all of you. He's designed you this way, and He has a right to you. And you know, why did, um, I don't know, sometimes we go, why, why do you think God made us? Do you think, um, uh, there's a misconception out there sometimes that goes, well, God made us because He needed us, you know. There's a, uh, I watched a clip. We were flying over in our mission trip to Asia. We watched The Clash of the Titans was one of the movies there. I watched a little bit, and it drove me bonkers. But the idea was that somehow our prayers fuel God's power. And the more we pray, the bigger God is, you know. And So God's made us for love. The more we love Him, boy, probably the better He feels. It really adds to His infinite everything, right? Oh, no. God made us as objects of His love, that He could love us and we could respond to it. It's fitting, it's right to respond to that. But, um, but he, He's designed it that we would, would respond with all of our heart, all of what He's given us to love. And so anyways, that's just a thought. God had Gomer, Hosea marry Gomer to put him in this situation that it's kind of a, a way we speak to God, a way we understand and see God. But I want you to know God's made you... He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with all the faculties that He's given you. Your heart, your mind, your soul. And, um, 
and all of them. So let's see here. The next uh, thing we're going to talk about is chapter 2 or act, act number 2. But um, So Hosea marries Gomer to understand a loving relationship, to understand how God's feeling about things, his relationship with Israel. And Gomer does what? Gomer becomes unfaithful. She becomes a prostitute. Now, um, you know, this is, there's, there's debate. Scholars have debate. Well, was she a prostitute beforehand? Did she become a prostitute afterwards? You know, if you read them, it's hard to say. It's kind of like, God could be saying, hey, look, you're going to marry this woman, and by the way, this is what she's going to become. Or you're going to marry this woman, and this is what she is. We don't exactly know. But we do know eventually she turns to adultery, and she... She turns away from Hosea, you know, and uh, we'll, chapter 2 has a lot to say about that, you know, and chapter 2 is kind of a mix of God talking about Israel and God talking about Gomer and Hosea, but we'll read 2, verse 5 through 7 here just to get a little context of, of what happens after they're married, even potentially happy married, happily married. But it says this, their mother, speaking of, uh, you know, the mom of these kids that, that it spoke of here. Um, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. So, Gomer turns to adultery here. Um, Let's see. A few things. Yeah, I mean, obvious question is, if you were married to someone who turned either adultery or to prostitution, how would that make you feel? Would you feel good about that? Anyone raise your hand if you'd feel good about that. No. How do you think Hosea felt when Gomer turned to prostitution? You know, we don't see a lot of what went on in this relationship, but I think it would be reasonable to see that they got married. It might have even been happily married, and then she turns the corner. Um, but, but it seems like Hosea gave his heart to her. You see about how he talks about him providing for her, but she attributed that to other lovers. He was giving good things to provide and take care for her, and she... She thought it was coming from these lovers that she was prostituting herself to. But, but I think that obviously it would have made Hosea feel pretty bad. You know, any one of you is married um, and you go, yeah, my wife has started cheating on me. I just think your heart would sink. I think it would grieve, it would break. And, and this is how Hosea must have felt. But, you know, um, God put Hosea in that situation. Why? So that Hosea could feel what God feels, you know, and um, there's something, um, how do you think God feels when we cheat on Him, when we give our heart to other things that did not create us, that are, are, we're not designed to give our heart to? How do you think God feels about that? And one of the things that I feel like God's been teaching me along this line is just that um, I think of this whole thing in my head. I go, you know, God uses his analogies of marriage, but then he uses analogies of, okay, you're, you're married and Israel's married to me, but then she cheated on me. Well, that's bad. Adultery is obviously bad. And I go, that's really wrong. And then the next step beyond adultery, well, beyond adultery is, is prostitution. You go from maybe that was an accident, maybe that happened, but now this is a, a way of life and you're prostituting yourself out. God even says uh, about Israel and Judah,
Judah in Ezekiel. He says they even go beyond prostitution to where they're not even getting... There's a new gesture here. There's one, two, and three steps over here. They went from adultery to prostitution to the point where they said, you know, people aren't even paying me for these sexual favors anymore. I'm paying them. And God is just trying to express, this is how, how it feels. And to me, I go in my brain, I go, well, that's bad. Adultery is bad. Prostitution is really bad. And um, prostitution without getting paid is really, really bad. But something I think we need to catch here, and the whole probably reason for this story is that God is saying, I want you to catch my heart, how it feels. And this Ezekiel um, verse here, I came across this in the One Year Bible a few weeks back, and I was reading it in the, you know, the New American Standard, which is known for being a fairly literal uh, translation of the Bible here. But this is what an extremely literal version of the Bible says in uh, Ezekiel 6, 9. God, again, pouring out his heart about how he feels. He says, How I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts, which turned away from me, by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. God's saying, how I've been hurt by their adulterous hearts. Do you think that God hurts? I mean, really? I think for me, I just go, that's really bad. That's a bad idea. Yeah, sure, that would hurt. But God's saying, I want you to know, Hosea, I want you to know how it feels. God feels hurt. He's grieved when we give our heart to things, to other gods, or that we don't give our heart to Him at all when we should. God grieves. He has feelings about that. And to me, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to be a very emotional guy. Some guys, very emotional, they're wired right in, they wear their emotions on their sleeves. I'm not like that, you know. I'm, I think I've cried once or twice in my life, and, and that was back when the Broncos won the Super Bowl, you know. It was kind of a... I, no, I, I didn't cry then. But, um, but, you know, it's easy to just go emotions are... Maybe as men, it's easy to go, emotions are for my wife. They're for females. But God has given men a heart that feels, and a heart that can feel pain, and hurt, and loss, and betrayal. And God's saying, this is how I feel when you do this speaking to Israel. But this is true in the New Testament as well. This is how God feels about us and our relationship with Him. And a few verses we're going to read on that here. Um, you know, um, we, we can grieve. We can hurt. We can... You know, it's different. God has allowed us to say, hey, this is not the same thing. God is God. But somehow there's a parallel to us hurting and having a broken heart and feeling cheated or whatever. And God's saying, you know what? That's, you're feeling just a little bit of how a God who loves you passionately feels when we turn from Him. And uh, there's a few verses like this in the New Testament that I'll just read that hopefully catch this idea as well. One of the classic ones is um, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And I'll just read it to you from the Living Bible. It puts it like this. Stop loving this world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God. They're from this evil world itself. And this world is fading away and these evil forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. God's saying here's things as New Testament Christians we can cheat God with. Things related to sex and ambition and power and pride and money. There's things we'll give our heart to that are really supposed to be uh, places that, that God has fully and those can take up room. Um, James puts it like this. Again, it's a pretty strong passage here. He says, um, James chapter 4, 
says, you are like an unfaithful wife. This is being spoken to New Testament Christians in the first century. You are like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies, the evil pleasures of this world, make you an enemy of God? I say it again, if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasure of the unsaved world, you cannot be a friend of God. But what do you think the scripture means when it says that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, watches over us with tender jealousy? God, you know, this. sometimes we can think of sin in a right and wrong, and that's right, that's wrong. We can think of it in a legal sort of terminology. You broke the law, you will be punished. But God puts, often puts it in a relational format and says it's supposed to be like a marriage where you're devoted to one another, and when you sin... It should break your heart. It breaks mine. You know, and uh, sometimes we can think about it in our mind and percentages. You know, it's like, what if we said, well, God has 70% of my heart, you know? Seems pretty good. How many of you in classes right now would like to get a 70%? Some of you go, that's not too bad. 80% is even better. 90%? God has 90% of my heart. That's a good thing, right? Most of us will say, yeah, that's great. But once you put it in a relational setting, you know, imagine if you're married and you go... My, my spouse has, boy, she has 90% of my affection, but 10% of my affection, my heart, my love, I'm giving to my secretary. How many of you think 90% would be good then? No, it kind of makes you go, ooh. But, you know, sometimes we just have a different way of thinking. But God says, here's how I want you to think. It's not about regulation. Sin is not just about the regulations that we violate. It's about a relationship that gets violated. And it grieves God's heart and His Holy Spirit. And He wants us to think that way. You know, some ways I go, well, none of us is probably going to step into prostitution, you know. I just, I don't see it happening. I could be wrong. And, you know, if you're thinking about that, you should talk to a pastor and we'll, you know, give you a few thoughts about that. But, um, but you know, what if you put it in the context of more like, you know, the devil is using some of these things. And, and what if the devil's going, hey, you want to be faithful and pure to your relationship with Christ? Um, what if he comes alongside you and says how about if I give you a little maybe a little worldly pleasure maybe it's sexual pleasure that's outside of God's design do you think you'd just kind of cheat on God a little bit just give me a little of your heart well what he says uh, I'll give you some money Here's, I know this is kind of God's not going to be real happy about this but I'll give you some money how, how about that or, or what if uh, you get a position of, of authority or something and, and the devil goes you know he knows what makes each one of us tempted and he comes along and says here how about I give you a little of this and you just give up a little space in your heart for me. You know, that's what's going on. None of us is probably going to walk into adultery, but the devil has so many ways he wants to pay for you to cheat on God, to give him some of your heart, that God wants all of us, that God deserves all of us. And we have to watch out for that. And we need to, um, you know, we need to be, we need to be like a passionate bride. We need to be faithful to God. That's what he wants, a faithful relationship. But we're giving our heart to him fully, you know, and, I don't know where I put that. I think I left it out on the table here. I'm just going to read an excerpt of um, when when I got married. Um, you know, it was uh, in Omaha or Fremont, actually. And then we got up there and we were doing our wedding vows. And um, Brad, I think I left up my wedding vows right out on the table there. Do you mind? <laughs> it's in a nice little frame there. Uh, it should be sitting on the table. Yeah, I think it should be there. But um, So we're doing our wedding vows up there. And, you know, we said we're going to do the traditional vows and we're going to do personal vows, you know. And 
back then that was probably a late breaking idea in our whole set of churches there was like uh, probably 30, 40, 50 marriages that had come out of the rock or something over time but some of the first couple ones were like Josh and Krista Daryl and Katie and then Morgan and I so the idea of personal vows was kind of this whoa that's kind of cutting edge I think um, at least it was to me so I get up there and I share some of these personal thoughts things that I noticed in her life and her character and you know I'm just kind of I thought I did pretty good and then my wife gets up and she shares her heart and man it was passionate and it was she memorized the things that she said to me but I was just like whoa I was blown away and but in that in what she wrote you know I see things of, of my bride who was speaking to me with her heart and personally uniquely as only she could do and she had put some thought into it and she communicated this exclusivity of the relationship she wanted to have with me but you know when we have that type of relationship we think about things that way I think we're going to be less likely to to cheat on God to let the world creep in and, and let the devil try to bribe us out of space in, in our hearts there and um, I was going to read a few lines from that but maybe my wife walked off with that and, and hit it so I couldn't um, she was in Sunday school so I was going to read her vows while she was not around to stop me um, but anyways if Brad finds it that's great if not we'll keep trucking here but the point of it all is that we just need to be like a passionate bride faithful to our God no dice she walked off with it I'm sure so alright um, the last thing we're going to look at here is um We'll call it Acts 3. How are we doing time-wise? Are we doing all right? Yep. Okay. Acts 3 is chapter 3 of Hosea here. So if you want to turn the page, if you got your Bible open still, we'll just read. Um, we're going to read all of chapter 3 here, all five verses. Um, but this sets the stage for the final chapter, the final part of Hosea's life we're going to look at. But chapter 3, verse 1, it just says, The Lord said to me, Go! Show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, that they can turn, um, though they turn to other gods and love the raisin, sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and about an omer of uh, and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, "You to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will live with you." For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessing in the last days. You know, and some of this is about Hosea and his relationship with Gomer. But like we said, a lot of it's about God and his relationship with Israel. You know, this last part is a prophecy that is still being fulfilled about Israel to this day. To this day, they are without their king of the lineage that was from David. Today, they are without a temple or a place to offer their sacrifices. Today, they are without spiritual guidance. But it says that in the last days, they will turn again to the Lord. Um, but before that here, we're, we're just going to look about So Hosea married Gomer. Gomer left him, became a prostitute. God says to Hosea, go get her. Go love her again. It's the next one here. Hosea loves his wife again. And just a few things to see there is um, we have to watch out for the concept of being in love versus loving. You know, God could have said, hey, Hosea, go fall in love with your wife again. Go churn up those loving feelings. But what does he say? Go 
show her your love. Like somehow it would be communicated through his actions. Go love her. He didn't say go be in love with her again. Um, and sometimes we have some confusion over, oh, I was so in love and I got married and I fell out of love and I want to slap somebody inside the head. You know, that's how God feels about it. You fell out of love? Okay. But that's what God's looking for. You know, it's all about your feelings. No, it's about making a choice to love, making a commitment to love. And your feelings may sometimes be in line with that and they may not, but that's not just a, oh, I had this feeling. You know, as a matter of fact, how do you think Hosea would have felt about Gomer? Imagine your spouse left you and became a prostitute. It didn't say she turned from her prostitution. Maybe she was still doing it. Imagine you, like God says, go get your wife again, you'll find her out on Colfax. Go get her. What would you think, you know? How many of you, if your spouse cheated on you, would divorce them? That's not uncommon in this day and age. One, one cheating, many people say, I'm done. Can you imagine cheating, cheating, paid to cheat, paid to cheat, paying others to cheat? And God says, go, go get her, go after her, love her again. You know, I have a hard time, you know, in my own marriage, I go, boy, my wife and I both, we kind of go, theoretically we know, sure, if, if something happened, oh, we would forgive the other person. That's just Christ-like. But the reality is, if she cheated on me or I cheated on her, I don't think our relationship would make it. But God says, by the way, I'm not like you. I don't love like you do. Go get that prostitute and love her again. Bring her back. And that's the type of love God has, and that's what He wanted to show through Hosea. Hosea expressed that love, and would you be able to do something like that? Would you take your spouse back? This day and age, it's extremely rare. All you need to get divorced nowadays is to go to the, you know, the, the courthouse and say, I fell out of love. Where's the papers? And God says, you know, He could have had, hey, Hosea, you're going to be the first biblical example of divorce just like I wanted it. It's a prostitute. What better case do you have for divorce? But he says, no, here, you're going to be an example of my patient, enduring, long-suffering love. Go take her back again. And he went after her and he brought her back. And that's the type of love that God has for us. Imagine if God was like us. Uh, You know, boy, sorry, uh, Firehouse Church, God is no longer in love with you. He fell out of love with you. Um... You know, God is not like that with us. And the reason God hates divorce is because it's supposed to be, marriage is supposed to be a reflection of His unending love. And when it breaks, it doesn't reflect Him. It's not the type of love that He has for us. It ruins the picture that He has. And and God doesn't want people going through that because that's not how He loves us. And it's hard to go through that. Um, But I love this last line here. It just says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. Can you imagine that? You go and you buy your loved one back. We don't understand the full circumstances that were going on here, but we do know somehow she fell under the ownership of someone else. Some say, well, maybe she sold herself into slavery. Others say maybe she came indebted to one of her lovers and owed that lover her service. Either way, we know that Gomer went and he bought her back. Whatever the price was for her, he paid it to bring her back. And that's just awesome. Just awesome to think about. So I bought her. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. And, you know, I just think there's something we have to catch there. You know, he paid the price to buy her back. And some of you know um, that happened in reality between Hosea and Gomer. It's a picture of God and Israel. And even more so, it's a picture of what Christ has done for us. Some of you might know this verse here. 
God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for you and I. You could put it like this. God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still prostitutes, Christ died for us. While we were standing on the corner giving our heart to other things that would not satisfy, things that are broken, Christ died for us. You know, it's easy to judge Gomer, but you and I in a lot of ways are are not far off from her. Easily giving our hearts, letting our hearts go wayward. Not giving them fully to our Lord. But, But He loved us and He paid the price for us. And I just think that's an awesome picture for each one of us. Um... The question I have, you know, maybe to wrap, wrap up related to that is, have you ever responded to God's love that was shown in Jesus Christ? Has they have paid the price that was needed to, to buy back Gomer? Jesus has paid the price that you and I were needed to. We came under the ownership of sin and death. How do you, how do you pay off death? Somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to die to get you back. Somebody did die for you. You know, in this world, God's laws say that the wages of sin is death. What we earn for sinning is death. We come under the ownership, the rightful ownership of death. Somebody had to pay that. You know, in, in this world where no one else is perfect, everyone's earned sins. You know, even the best religious leaders, the Buddha, the, all these different ones, they all sinned and they all had come under the ownership of death. They had to pay for their own death. But Jesus came and paid for us in a way that no one else could. That's why He's the only answer. You see, as God could pay for us, as man, He could experience death. God should never have to do that. But as God, He could fully pay for each one of us. And Christ died for us. And have you responded to His love by saying, I do? You know, I do is kind of maybe a multi-part. When you get up on the altar and say, do you take this person, you know, for better or for worse, or to death do this part? I do, you know. But with Christ, it's like, um, you know, it might be maybe the uh, pastor doing the service between you and Christ would say, well, do you, um, do you know that you've sinned against a holy and perfect God and earned His judgment? I do. Do you believe that Jesus Christ loved you so much He died on the cross for you and paid for you? I do. And are you willing to open up your life and ask Jesus to come in as your Lord and Savior? Are are you willing to do that? I do. I I will. I am. Um, But have you ever done that to Christ? Have you ever said, I open, I, I do to Jesus. He's the only one who can pay for you. You said I do to anybody else? Sorry, you know, they're probably going to still have to pay for their sin. And you will yours. But if you believe Jesus bought you back, you can tell Him you do believe that. And you want to respond to His love with your love and with your faith first by just simply saying to Jesus, I do, I do ask you to come into my heart as Lord and Savior. Um, A couple verses just to close with here. You know, are, are you still thinking, maybe you responded to His love once before. Are you still responding to God's love? Are you seeking God to respond to you? You know, it's a two-way relationship we have with God. Sometimes it's like, I I put in the siren this past week, it's like, you know, I feel a lot of times we pray, we talk to God, and I wish God would talk back to me like I talk to Him. You know, I'm just waiting for Him to give me this nice, clear dialogue. But God has a a relationship. It's two-way, but... I just think about just like a sheep and a shepherd. Jesus says, you know, it's kind of like you'll hear my voice like a shepherd and the sheep. You know, it's like when you speak to a sheep, 
I don't think they understand what we're saying. But yet, and if you've been around sheep at all, they kind of, I think they know who's speaking to them. And I also think they know, hey, it's dinner time, or hey, it's this or that. But you know, God speaks to us, and there's a way to tell us if it's His voice or not. And God responds to us, maybe through answering our prayers. Maybe through not answering our prayers. Maybe through changing our circumstances. Maybe through putting us in hard circumstances. But it's a two-way relationship. And, you know, this is what it says in Hosea here. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know Him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. God wants a two-way relationship with you. He wants you to know His love and respond to it. And He wants you to seek Him in faith. And He'll respond to you. Are you having that relationship? You know, the last verse, one of the last ones in the chapter here. It just says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you. God wants us to be in a relationship where we're going after Him. Just like you go after your, your bride-to-be or when you're married, you, you, you work for a relationship there. and You know you pursue your bride until, you know, to, to get married and stuff like that. But God wants us to have a relationship that's going after one another. Going after one another's heart. Us responding to God's love as He reveals it to us when we read His Word. Oh, that's how God feels about me. Oh, that's, it grieves His heart. And then seeking Him. God, what about this? And He responds. And there's a two-way relationship. God wants a loving relationship with every one of you. And how's it going? Have you responded to His love? Have you stopped responding? Even in, in Revelation here, we read the one-year Bible recently. It just says, get back to your first love. Do what you were doing at first. Respond to me like when you first loved me. It's supposed to be an ongoing sort of way of life and relationship. And... But this, this love, this love that went after us and bought us, this is a crazy love that we're talking about this whole series long. It's God's love for us. And it's crazy in the, the eyes of this world. And, and it's an awesome and amazing love. And I hope each one of you has responded to His love with, first by believing that He loves you that much and then, then by loving Him with all you've got. Let's pray. The Lord Jesus, we do just thank You so much. Thank You for the story of... Hosea and Gomer, the example that you've given us there of, of your love in a real live way. God, we thank you for the love that you've shown for us through your Son, Jesus. Thank you that though we were like prostitutes stuck in sin, under the ownership of death, you bought us back. You paid the price for us. We thank you, Lord. Help us to, to grow in our love for you. Help us to be passionate as a bride is for her groom. Well, God, help us to be faithful to you, especially in this crazy, busy season that we're coming into, Lord. It's easy to lose you in the midst of all the busyness, all the activities that we have. Help us, Lord, to seek after you. Help us to expect you to respond. Help us to respond to you when, when you do show yourself to us. We just ask for this. We pray you grow us in this crazy love for you and for one another. We just pray you make us a church that really catches your love and passes it on. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for for coming this morning. Again, remember, next Sunday morning, we will not be right here. Next Sunday night, we will be right here, 6 p.m. So we'll catch you at the concert next week.